0: Welcome to the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Data, analytics, big data, data science, machine learning, customer insight, behavioral science, blockchain, data ops, data engineering, agile working. Phew, too many terms, too many things to think about. Do you as a leader need somewhere to turn? To hear what other leaders are doing? To hear what really makes a difference in your business? Welcome. The Customer Insight Leader Podcast is here for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a different leader in the fields of customer insight, data, and analytics, to hear what they really do, what really makes a difference. So settle down, get that cup of coffee, and enjoy the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Customer Insight Leader podcast, a place to hear from today's leaders in the fields of customer insight, data science, and analytics. I'm your host Paul Lockton, and with me today is Sophie Carr. Sophie is the founder of Bayes Consulting, which she apparently founded to share her enthusiasm that analysis is both fun and provides clarity. Sounds like a motivating mantra for any team. Following a prestigious list of her academic achievements at leading universities, uh, topped off with a, a PhD from Cranfield University, uh, Sophie has now led base Consulting for over 13 years and continues to have the admirably straightforward job title of Mathematician. That's it, Mathematician, fabulous. Her consulting work is motivated by a belief that at the heart of business issues is a need to reduce uncertainty and gain clarity as well as applying a broad range of her maths, engineering, and leadership skills to her work. Sophie has a specialism in Bayesian networks, so I'm I'm sure we're going to touch on that. And I'm also certain Sophie's going to prove to be a fascinating guest for you lucky, lucky listeners. Welcome, Sophie.
1: Hello. Thank you very much for having me today.
0: You're most welcome. It's good to have you with us. I should also just take a moment out to briefly apologise to listeners I do recognise it's been a while. Episodes have been a lot less frequent lately. I'm afraid I've been very busy with client work. Naughty me. But don't worry, I'm back on the case and the regular rhythm of great guests like Sophie should be re-established very soon. And back in the room. Sophie, with uh, all our guests, I'd like to ask them first to tell us a bit about their career history, where they've come from, if you like. So, So, that listeners understand the perspective that they're coming from and what they share. So, could you tell us a bit about your backstory and how you've ended up doing the work that you do today?
2: Oh,
3: uh, yes, I can. So, I've ended up doing the work I'm doing today really um, by chance. I didn't set out to be a data scientist and I didn't set out to be a business owner by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. I grew up wanting to work with aeroplanes. Mm -hmm. I always had an absolute fascination with airplanes. I loved building stuff as a child. Um, Mm -hmm. I really liked Lego. And that led to me studying aeronautical engineering at university. mm -hmm. And it was the best thing I could have ever done. I absolutely, (laughs) I I just loved it. And it it really did make me who I am today. I I found myself, it was a subject I loved. Mm -hmm. And then I got a job as an aeronautical engineer. and it sounds really simple to say but at the age of 24 I had my dream job Mm. the thing I had always wanted to do I studied Mm. aeronautical engineering then did a master's of applied maths and fluid mechanics and worked as an aeronautical engineer and flew around the world doing trials and it was just the best thing ever (laughs) Um, and as I was flying I became really interested in why people were hitting information overload Mm
2: -hmm. and
3: so I asked around and found out I could do a part-time PhD whilst I was working so I ended up doing a PhD in something called Bayesian belief networks and this is going back quite a while now when Bayesian statistics Mm -hmm. wasn't as well known as it is Mm -hmm. so I I set off thinking how hard can that be and it (laughs) turned out it was quite hard because I was working and I ended up getting married and having my first child by the time I graduated and it took eight years Um, And I graduated with a PhD in Bayesian Belief Networks, looking at how you can combine information and really get the numbers to put into the model um, and then really understand how that model changes. Mm. And then I got made redundant. And that's okay. It happened to a lot of people back in uh, 2008, 2009. I certainly wasn't alone and I certainly wasn't personal. Mm. But then I had two small children and uh, no job. So, mm. my, my husband said, What are you going to do? And I said, Oh, I'll, um, I'll found my own company. And, and he just looked at me and he's, My husband's absolutely fantastic. And he went, But you've only ever really worked in research. You, you don't know anything about running a company. I went, You know, can't be hard. And <laughs> I, I genuinely stand by the mantra that it's not hard to set a company up, it is hard to make money. And mm, you need mm. to separate out those two things. Mm,
2: mm.
3: So, I set the company up. And for, oh, a good seven or eight years, it was just me. Mm-hmm. And then I had Abby join and she came for a day or so a week. Um, and then Sam joined, and she stayed for about a year, and she was there for a day and a half or so a week. Mm-hmm. But really in 2020, 2021, um, that was when it really took off. Mm-hmm. And we went from really? two people uh to a maximum of 12, and now we're we settled at 10. And it's it's a nice place to be, but it I never set out to do this.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But I did say to the team last year, and I genuinely meant it, I I'm not where I thought I'd be. I never thought I'd be a business owner or a data scientist or working statistics. Mm. But I am where I'm meant
1: to be. I genuinely feel at home.
0: Yes. That is a what a a wonderfully encouraging story that is, Sophie. It really, despite happenstance and challenge, it really kind of sounds like someone who delights in where they find themselves at each stage. Is that something that you've you've worked on that you kind of maintain a positive attitude or have you just faced this career story with a gla- glass half full attitude by default?
3: So I think one of the best definitions I've ever heard of a business owner is is an eternal optimist <laughs> and I yeah. genuinely think that's very true but I always say it's an eternal optimist with permanent heartburn. <laughs> because there are from time to time quite a lot of stress involved in, yeah, in running a business. Yeah. I think I have been unbelievably lucky my whole career in that even as a small child I looked and went I want to work with airplanes how do I mm. get to work with airplanes and the fact that I was mm. growing up in Barnsley and not many kids really went to university when I went to university and mm. there certainly weren't many women going to engineering it was just a case of well I, I want to do it how do I do it and it's never really occurred to me that not to do something mm. um so have I am I a glass half full and I also think there's a, a very big difference between contentment and ambition. I am incredibly content. I have a wonderful life and I'm really lucky in a brilliant job. And I do absolutely love my job. But mm. that doesn't mean you can't be ambitious.
2: Mm. Mm. So
3: um, I am content. I am happy. And I have always loved my work. Always loved it. Mm. And if at any time I haven't enjoyed my job, I've realized that it's time to look for another job. Mm. Um, but this one for the last 13 odd years, I have just adored.
0: Great. Great. That is that is brilliant. Particularly with someone running a, I know all the pressures and busyness of, of running a business, small and, and larger. How did you get to the clarity of what fitted you? And, and I I asked that because I guess I, I come from the perspective, self-disclosed, um, Sophie, that people who are lucky are put in the preparation and the, the more <laughs> preparation and thinking and planning that you do, you happen to get luckier. Um, so you've ended up repeatedly in the situation where this really fits, suits me. I'm flourishing. This is just right for me. I find it hard to believe that's repeatedly solely down to chance. How did you get to know yourself so that you really knew that the aeronautical engineering would suit you? So you really knew that the mathematics work and the bayesian work would would suit you did you do reflection of a mountain what what got to this level of self-knowledge i guess
1: so i think there's two separate parts there
0: Hmm.
1: for the aeroplanes
3: i genuinely can't tell you but i grew up with an unbelievable love of aeroplanes And my granddad was in the RAF during the Second World War. And he talked to me about aeroplanes. But you have to remember that my parents both went to the Royal College of Art and didn't really know much about aeroplanes. So I didn't grow up in a family surrounded by engineers or aeroplanes. But I just thought anything that flew, Mm. it it, it just fascinated me. And it, it captured my imagination from being a really young girl. And I mean, you know, a primary school young Um, building aeroplanes and rockets with my lego and -hmm. it never left me and it just gave me something that i just wanted to find out more about and the more i found Mm -hmm. out about it the more i wanted to do it Mm
2: -hmm.
3: but the i guess the the flip side to that is uh when i was at sixth form i didn't think i'd be an engineer because i had you can't be what you can't see and i couldn't really see aeronautical engineers yeah but i loved physics I thought physics was amazing and mm. and fluids and Bernoulli's equation. I just, <laughs> just, t- I, I can't tell you. I mean, I can still see myself sitting in Mr. Brain, who was my A-level physics teacher, sitting in these classes, he introduced Bernoulli's theory, and I just thought, this is, this is amazing, which is how I ended up doing fluid mechanics. And then mm. I genuinely thought I was going to be an aeronautical engineer all my life until I was sitting at um, Cranfield and actually I was at the Shrivenham campus which is the defence college and mm. I'm talking about some ideas I had for this this PhD and my supervisor Ken McNaught, introduced me to Bayesian statistics and Bayesian belief networks mm. and having spent 24-25 years of my life
1: wanting to be an aeronautical engineer and becoming one yeah there was this thing in front of me mm-hmm. which I just looked at and went wow just it was a yes. total game changer
2: yeah and
1: this thing
3: captured me and maybe I am lucky in the sense that I have found two things in my life that have just given me a how do I get better at this mm. how do I do more at this how, how do I learn more about this and it's mm. not always easy and I have late nights and stressful days sometimes of course yeah
2: yeah
3: but to have something that, you know just to have something that absolutely grabs your attention, mm. that you mm. want to do, means that it is
1: work, but it's not, not
0: yes, yeah, not really work. Yeah, no, I absolutely absolutely get you with that. No, that that's lovely. Maybe there is a, an artistic element to that, given your, your your family background. I think there is a a falling in love with the beauty of some aspects of mathematics and science.
1: Oh, absolutely, my.
3: The one thing that unites my mum, my sister and I, I mean, there's probably a lot, but we all patchwork. Now,
2: mm.
3: my sister studied psychology uh, at university. My mum uh, worked in our, all her life. Mm. Now, they can do these amazing shadings and bring colours together that I, I, I can't do. I have to go mm. to them to help choose the materials. Mm. But I can do patterns that they can't do because I can yeah. see the shapes. Yeah. And... My dad always used to say that I do paint, I just paint with numbers.
2: Yes, and yes.
3: I see shapes in statistics, distributions, call mm. them what you will, and I mm. see patterns in numbers the mm. way that my rest of my family see them in in art, for want of a better
2: yes. phrase.
0: Yeah, totally resonate with that, Sophia. I completely agree with you. And I know through my own experience, I mean, I think some of the beauty of studying oceanography, meteorology and astronomy was was seeing the same theories and patterns in each of them and the beauty of of mathematics that, that ran across everything. The, the beauty of some of the analytical and statistical solutions we oh. built in the team that I led in, in Lloyd's and, and where you begin to see patterns and opportunities to apply statistics and solutions in different parts of businesses. It's a way of seeing the world, isn't it? And it's exciting.
3: Yeah, it is and I think Aligned with that is, is something I, I sort of talk about a bit in that people expect to be moved by art. You are mm-hmm. expected to have a, an emotional reaction to a painting mm-hmm. or a sculpture or, or a poem. Yeah. But actually numbers move people much, much more than they acknowledge. So mm. when you start to see the headlines about how many people are living in poverty or what percentage of footsie bored yeah. members are women, it's a kick in the guts, and that leads mm. to social change. And mm. there is, oh, there is a beauty and an elegance in a mathematical proof. Yeah. They are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And anybody who has found the joy in doing the really deep work in maths and suddenly your graph lines join it's just it's it's amazing and and that beauty and elegance i think often gets hidden when people have a fear of maths but it is there and it is just the most wondrous thing to work in
0: yes it's lovely actually it makes me think i mean i I spend some of my time helping people with data visualization and i suppose it's easy to appreciate that at a a surface level of the aesthetics of, of effective visualization but in another way, it's just letting the beauty of the numbers themselves shine forth. It's beautiful.
3: Yeah. I think one of the key things that we talk about when we work with statistics and numbers in our company is that you should make sure the numbers make no more and no less of than they should. Yes. So don't hide their light under a bushel, but don't make claims you can't substantiate. Yes. And finding that story
1: and finding that that beautiful balancing point of what you can and can't say yes it is it is really wondrous
0: yeah agreed agreed completely i'm gonna have to rein myself in because i could i could wax lyrical with this for a while but there are some other things i want to ask you while i've got got you with me sophie i i know when we spoke before um as well as your multitude of academic achievements one of the things that caught my eye was that you were chartered mathematician chartered scientist a chartered statistician i think you're the first guest on the podcast I've mentioned with those qualifications, definitely the only one to have all three, which I think is both phenomenal. I wondered, because I I know years back, I encouraged members of my team to become charter statisticians. I wonder with your experience of doing that and what benefit you you or others have seen downstream, would you recommend that others who've maybe not considered becoming something like a charter statistician, would you recommend they consider it? And if so, how, how will it help?
3: Oh, absolutely. I absolutely think people should go for chartered statistician, chartered scientist, mathematician. The other one um, which I've just got is I'm an advanced practitioner for the Alliance of Data Science Professionals, which is a new mm. one. It's not a chartership. It's a certification. But, again, it's it's that sort of body of, of, of showing what you're able. Now, yeah. why you should do it, it takes you out of your comfort zone. Mm. So to become a chartered statistician, yes, you have to show that you um, – have the knowledge in statistics, that you've been working in statistics for a few years. Specifically with a charter statistician, you get a mentor through the Royal Statistical Society. And it does give you a framework. So you have this wonderful framework you have to fill in. And yes, some of it you might find that you can do through the course of your work. You might find you can do relatively easily. But then in those aspects that people may start to go, oh, actually, I'm not sure I want to give a conference paper or I don't like giving a presentation. But you do have to do it. Mm. Um, and actually going out there and extending your skill set, you also get to interact with a wider range of people. So wow. I think undertaking something like the chartership routes or the, the certification routes really makes you investigate not only your depth, of speciality and the thing you, you enjoy mm. about statistics, mm. but also looks at the breadth of the work that's going on. Mm. And that's really important because you get to talk to so many people and see what's going on. Mm. I, I think it's a fantastic way to help structure your first few years. I mean, I didn't get chartered statistician until I think it was about 18 months ago, <laughs> in right. yeah. less time than that, about a year ago. So it took, took me a while to apply for that one. Yes. But um, it absolutely is worth it. Absolutely is worth it. I, I thoroughly recommend that everybody forces themselves out of their comfort zone. Uh, to, to go look at the the other things they can be doing.
0: Great. Thank you. That's a, a ringing endorsement, Sophie. And good to hear when so much kind of superficial advice can land on, oh, yes, do this, it's extra letters after your name on a CV kind of thing. But I, I hear the personal development and growth argument from you, and I think that's important.
3: Oh, yes. I mean, I, I have quite a few letters after my name now. Um, I don't think people really worry too much about the letters, but it's what you've learned what mm. you've done, what you can talk about and actually how you can evidence. And I think also you, you talked earlier about, you know, how did I sort of get to the, the, the reflection? Yeah, actually looking back on what you've achieved over five years is a really good way to see where you've come to and everything you've managed.
2: Mm.
3: And
1: that in itself is worth doing.
0: Mm. Yes, that's very true. It's very true. We don't take long enough sometimes to pause and reflect on the journey so far. Definitely. So, one thing I noticed actually, when you were sharing your career story, if you like the journey so far, briefly for us at the beginning of this conversation, repeatedly you said, "So it's clearly a, a, an embedded attitude. Again, it can't be that hard. Let's go and set up my own business. It can't be that hard." Admirable, yeah. but um, if it is clearly part of who you are, Sophie, left me wondering. I bet you are. So, what are you saying to yourself this year? It can't be that hard.
3: Oh, it can't be that hard. The immediate it can't be that hard is to get to the end of the financial year, to be honest with you, at the time okay. we're recording this. OK, uh, so that's imminently might, for you. Uh, yeah, I think my team might, might argue against me on that one. Um, <laughs> so I, it can't be that hard is it, something that's carried me through. And I think a lot of it is sometimes naivety. Because when Mm -hmm. you set off and you've never seen anybody else do A level maths, physics, chemistry, and you go, Well, okay, they're the A levels I want to do, can't be hard. Turns out (laughs) they are. Um, And I went to university to study aeronautical engineering. And on my first week, my personal tutor went, All we have to do is change your degree title to engineering with French. It's the same engineering degree, it's a full engineering degree. You just have half your lectures in French. I was like, Okay, can't be that hard. I didn't have A level French. Um, Oh, that. But, but, But all of those, it can't be that hard. Gives you these amazing opportunities mm. to go and have a go and go and try mm. something. So, oh, well, if you fail, well, okay. If you fail, you just pick yourself up and, and and go again. So, this year, what am I trying to? What am I saying isn't that hard this year? Well, I guess on a personal level, I'm going back to do more swimming, and um, that turns out to be right. hard to fit in, but really yeah. good fun. From a business perspective, we've spent a year really embedding the team together and really coming together as a company and mm. finding how we work together and, and building that levels of trust that take time.
2: Mm.
3: And I think looking looking ahead, how we can sustainably and organically grow uh, mm. without breaking people. Um, mm is something I'd love to say it's not that hard but actually it's really hard mm. we mm. we put people first and making mm. sure that we look after people and help them grow is the thing that I'm saying is not too hard but actually is really hard that's the challenge
0: yeah yeah did, did you find that you bought that I suppose I could use the word bias but I mean it in a positive sense that bias toward we put people first that uh empathic kind of approach is that just how you happened to approach business or uh, and I guess I'm asking this because a lot of people with such depth of technical skill and knowledge as you've got Sophie aren't necessarily massively extrovert massively positivity minded or massively empathetic necessarily to other other kind of relationships are you again a very fortunate person that you you come with strong people skills and you just naturally saw the world this way? or have you had to learn the benefits of people first?
1: So, I'm going to use the phrase "I was really lucky that my first employer, the <laughs> yeah, my first employer put people first
2: hmm.
1: and really showed me how it is important and what you get back by looking after people.
2: Hmm.
3: And when I got made redundant, and like I said, it was not personal. and I wasn't the
1: only one.
2: No, I found myself.
1: Time. Oh, no, 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 not at of time. They quite a lot of this. I found myself a mum of two at the start of a recession. And I wanted to stay in technical work.
2: Hmm.
3: And I know lots of people who've had career changes before, after children, who've moved into non-technical work. But I desperately, desperately wanted to stay in technical work and so when i set the company up and then as we started to grow a few years later i was absolutely adamant that the company had to let anybody who wanted to do work particularly technical work be able to do that and to do to, to create that company what what it's required is the ability to hire the hidden workforce so people who otherwise might not be able to work in tech and by that i mean I've got as many part-time men as I have part-time women. We've got completely flexible working hours. And I genuinely mean completely flexible working hours. Mm. You can work in the night whenever suits you. Um, We have six weeks leave so people can take off half terms and summer holidays. We shut down for Christmas. I make it so that if you've got caring responsibilities, you can come and work. Because by doing that, you get phenomenal people who otherwise wouldn't be able to do tech work. Yes. And
1: maybe it's a person or people skill, or maybe it's just because I realized that that's what I needed.
2: Mm. Mm.
3: And putting that in place and putting people first and acknowledging that everybody has lives and everybody has pressures and everybody has different things going on around
1: them. Yeah. If you let them sort that or acknowledge that when they come to work, can work yes and you can't just switch off emotion and turn up
3: to work Mm. and you can't just pretend that people don't have a life
2: Mm.
3: because I do so um, my son swims competitively very competitively and that means that I leave the house at quarter past five in the morning four mornings a week Mm. what that means is I can't get into the office before nine Mm o'clock I can do phone calls from the from the car, but by showing my team that that's how I operate, and we have no scrum before 10, because people can't get in because they've got caring commitments and other things, mm-hmm. or maybe they want to
1: go for a walk or have do something else, it just it just shows that they can they can balance these things, mm-hmm. and
3: well, I, I can't imagine running a business any other way.
0: Yes. Yes. Great advert for it, Sophie. Great, great perspective. I was interested actually, it was just running through my head then listening to that was because you take such a positive perspective of work in a way that works for people. So people aren't excluded from being able to do that job.
2: Yeah.
0: Does that mean that you can actually set your technical skills and the demands of the capability you you want from people you're going to hire even higher because you You'll kind of be flexible on everything else. So among those who need that flexibility and value it, there may be few few employers. Can you go for the very brightest, the very best, or do you approach that oh. differently as well?
1: So you've hit a small nerve there. Ah. Um, when we advertise, we hire mathematicians and statisticians
2: mm-hmm.
1: in the technical team.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I. Don't require you to have a first-class degree.
3: I don't require you to be outstanding, eminent, excellent. What we look for is have you got good math skills and do you know how to code? Mm -hmm. And so when we put the job adverts out, we work really, really hard to make sure that it is inclusive language. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And we set the job adverts for a minimum of a month because that's what it takes for women in particular to apply. Mm -hmm. I don't need you to be best in class, outstanding
1: Excel skills. I just need you to be able to use Microsoft Office. Do I set out to hire the best of the best? No. Do I
3: set out to hire really good tech people who fit in with the company that we've got? Yes. Do Mm. we try and raise the bar every time we hire somebody? Of course we do. Mm. But I know if I use language like, I want the best of the best, the creme de la creme, the top of this. Yeah, Yeah. That puts people off applying, the type of people who I think would really fit into my company. Mm -hmm. So I'm not Mm -hmm. saying we hire people who've got bad skills because everybody in my company is phenomenally good at that job, Mm. whether that be marketing, project management, delivery, bid writing, data engineering or data science. We have got phenomenally skilled people. They are an absolutely epic team, and I I cannot believe that they have chosen to work in a a small company, particularly my small company. Oh, I (laughs) can. I know, on a a daily basis, I'm amazed by what they Mm. do. And we have a fantastic time. Mm. But I would never set out
1: to put people off applying Mm. by the
3: language I've used by only seeking excellence, because excellence comes in a myriad of forms.
0: That's a beautiful of putting it, Sophie. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. The other thing I noticed when I was listening to a kind of career story quickly is these different transitions you've made in your career with the obvious focus of kind of aeronautical to the, the mathematical, um, but then also from um, academic and employee to setting up your own business and, and that whole change. The one that actually interested me, I guess, is maybe the more recent one. Of from a, a smaller, I guess I could call it more of a lifestyle business when there's yeah. just a few of you and it's almost like a, a friendship group to to a company that's hiring a larger number of permanent employees. Mm. That's a difficult transition for a lot of people, but the leadership skills, the commercial skills needed to navigate that can be can be a, a tough challenge. What did you have to learn and change to make that transition from being just a, a lifestyle business to the leader of a much larger and growing business as you are now
3: an interesting concept i do i do like reading and one of the things i read was apparently i was meant to be quite bad at delegating and i didn't have any problem in giving away the things i didn't like doing so mm-hmm. hiring a project manager was, a, was just oh such a release
2: um, <laughs> good honestly
3: there are people who love project management mm, and marketing, and social. <laughs> i know
1: i know who knew um so i think the thing i Found hardest to do actually sort of is quite an interesting one in that I had to learn how
3: to manage things I'd never had to do before. So it sounds obvious, but payroll increases. Okay, that's yeah. fine. I've got accountants who can help with that. Um, what I left too late was getting an external HR director.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: With hindsight, I should have brought on our very, very good external HR director much earlier. And that would have saved me sleepless nights. Not in that my the lovely people I work with are in any way troublesome, but just because I would have had to do less paperwork and she could have helped me and yes. would have been, you know, in that way. I think that was the thing I I should have done earlier. Mm. The other thing I think learning to do
1: is it's the different way that people communicate. And we spent a lot of time as a team finding the best
3: way for us all to communicate. Because so we all have different working patterns. Roughly speaking, we're all online usually 10 till 12-ish most days of the week. But like I say, I've got quite a few part-timers. not so...
2: yeah.
1: well, quite a few. I've got, got several part-timers. So actually finding how we all worked together and really building that team, which is why actually I stopped hiring. I decided we weren't going to grow for growth's sake, but actually
3: take the time to learn, to know each other, to see how we work and we communicate. That, that was the tricky thing. Very wise. Some people like verbal, some people like typing, some people want to go on Teams, some people just want to write an email. And actually looking across a strategy of how the company communicated and where we were going
1: to have a single source of truth was, the, was I think, the, the hardest part.
0: Yeah, that very very wise thing to point out, and I, I commend you completely for that. Pause and and let relationships embed and the way of working be established. I think too many leaders and too many organisations have too constant to change, and and no one learns to get to know how to work effectively because it's like a moving target all the time. So it's yeah, and very I think the thing,
1: the thing about statistics, data science, um you have to be able to do the deep work. Yeah. You actually have to be able to sit, put your head down and
3: go. So we're, we're trialing again um, in the next financial year, actually.
1: Um, no external meetings one afternoon a week.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: And just giving people the time to really focus. Otherwise, you, you're just flitting from one thing to another. We try to let yeah. people only work on two projects so they can you know, really get to know what they're doing and and just letting people get into a flow absolutely. where they can they can work
0: absolutely I, I honestly sophie i'm expecting you to be deluged by people who'd like to work for you after this. <laughs> uh, lots of things that sound great i completely agree <laughs> with i mean cal newport and the whole deep work aspect that the study of mm-hmm. flow there's just there's so much evidence to what, what you've said you, yeah. you put me in mind of another book, though. And um, last year I read and were, was really engaged by. I mean, it, it was beautiful itself, the book of Why by Judea Pearl, uh, oh. which really opened my eyes to causal science and and that kind of maturing discipline that really should be taught alongside maths and stats or traditional stats. Anyway, uh, I'm guessing, given your love of Bayesian networks, that you're probably a fan too, and that that noise suggested yes. it. Um, yes, yes, yes. Do, do you get then a wonder? Unlike Many leaders in this space to to see and work on what you would define as causal problems in in the way that Judea kind of uh, describes them. And how does this think? Do you do you genuinely see? I'm going to be proving causation here. Oh, great, I've got one of those, and I can take a different approach.
3: I would love to say that all we work on are causal Bayesian problems. Um, <laughs> that would be okay. that would be a horrible lie. So <laughs> I, I I love Judea Pearl's work and got his books and you're right the book of why is brilliant and such a good read and accessible mm. to
1: basically everybody who can get, get hold of it
0: yes it is yes it is
1: i would say that and it, I, I think it actually links back to your previous question
3: would i just like to work on causal problems all the time yes please <laughs> would my company now that's a different question mm, mm. Because not everybody in the tech team is a statistician, let alone a Bayesian
1: statistician. I've got mathematicians on there as well. So the answer is, occasionally, causal Bayesian problems come up, and
3: I force myself on the tech team and say, I am going to play, and I'm going to come in, and I'm going to join. You can see them going, really? Really? (laughs) You don't always have such a good idea, so. Um, But they don't come along that often, is the honest Mm. truth. And I think there's two parts to that is A, just not that many problems come along like that to us. Mm-hmm. B, a lot of the problems that do come aren't necessarily going to be answered in the way that people think they're going to be answered. Mm. And a great example of that is people often use the panacea, oh, I can do machine learning. And it turns out really you you can solve the question with just some jolly good statistics. Yes. Yes, there are problems that need machine learning. Of course there are. Mm. But it's not always the answer. So Do we get to just show causality? Alas, no. Mm -hmm. Do I love it when those problems come along? Yes.
2: Mm.
3: Yes. And I would happily do those a lot more. Mm. Um, But proving causation, as you know from reading that book, is it's incredibly hard. Yes. Incredibly hard. And I'm not sure that we would necessarily be able to show causation definitively in the way that people might want us to. And so that's when you have to have some of those really good people skills of talking with the, the client and saying, do you know what you've asked for? Are you aware of what the language in in this conversation, in these documents means? Because maybe you don't actually want or need that because it's going to take a long time and might cost you a lot of money.
0: Yeah, good point. Good point. I suppose it, and thank you for the honesty of the answer as well, so it'd be, it'd be easy to be self-indulgent with an answer to that, I'm sure. Do you think that two theories going in my head, I guess, as you've got my, my brain buzzing on this, do you think that because there isn't a wide understanding of the difference and power of genuinely understanding causality or, or causation of something than just proving correlation or we've got mm-hmm. significant results in randomised control trials and, and this kind of stuff, do you think because of that people don't notice where what the most powerful thing to understand would be causation. So they're not noticing the problems. Or do you think the world is more complex than we realize? And actually, we almost need to apply that understanding more often to say, let me just warn you, you don't understand causation. So all we've done here is this. This gives you this limited understanding which you can act on. But beware, you don't understand causation. It's too hard to prove. And that that's the reality. What do you think it is? Do you think people are just not noticing the causal problems that you could work on? Or do we still need to stay where a lot, I guess a lot of statisticians have been for a while, warn people you haven't proven causation?
1: So I think there's two sides. Mm-hmm. If you think about the complexities
3: of proving causation, whether that be from, say, smoking to lung cancer or
2: mm. um,
3: the fact that is there or is there not global warming? I mean, that alone mm. is an incredibly contentious
1: issue, regardless of your opinion on it. Yeah. We should not, as statisticians, data scientists, business owners,
3: shy away from the really complex stuff. Agreed. Shouldn't. However, do I think that there is a case to be made for statisticians, mathematicians, business leaders to get better at explaining what they do? Yes. Mm. Because for the really big causal problems that we're talking about, it's imperative that we include every member of society in those Mm -hmm. debates. And to do that, and I'm thinking about things like global warming, driverless cars, Mm -hmm. ethical use of AI, those really Mm -hmm. big complex Mm -hmm. problems that Mm -hmm. do include causality. Mm -hmm. We need to ensure that everybody has a conversation and is involved in the conversation so they understand the impact of what, the, of what could happen. So the impact of if we do prove causality, the impact if we don't, mm-hmm. the near and the far-term goals, what that means in terms of what will happen in the next few years, the next few months, mm-hmm. that's the part that's actually just as tricky as proving the causality. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to take an awful lot of work on conversations, and it's going to require both parties. It's going to require some people to be helped to overcome their maths anxiety. It's going to require the scientists, the engineers, the business people to learn how to modify their language, to engage with a broader range of people as possible. And only then can we start to unpick the steps on that causation ladder. And those steps of how Mm. we start to show, well, we've proved this little bit of causality. And now we know that bit, Mm. we can start to tackle the next part of the problem. And, And that is just, it's just not quick either. And I think that's the other thing about causality is people assume that we we can just show a direct link or we can just solve yes. one tiny part yes. of the puzzle. And, and as soon as you start to say, well, actually, the observations we're recording are not pure. They are mm-hmm. affected mm-hmm. by things. Mm-hmm. That's when that's when you start to have some of the really fun conversations, I think.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. The causal ladders are just a, a great yeah. metaphor and structure to that book. Do, do read the book, listeners. Thank you, Sophie. That makes great sense. There's so much I could go into there, but I wholeheartedly agree with the importance of that, that work with society. Coming back to you as a leader and, and thinking of where we try and focus in this podcast, I wonder where you're still developing, and not just from a technical perspective, I'm sure you're a lifelong learner from a technical perspective, but developing you as a leader beyond that, some of the people and the software and the leadership skills, where are you developing yourself at the moment?
1: So. That's an interesting question because prior to COVID, I'd actually never had a mentor. Mm. And
3: then (laughs) I was lucky enough, I know I've kept saying that. Um, (laughs) I I applied uh, to a couple of cohorts and got a mentor. And I do not know now what I would have done without either of them over the past couple of years. So where am I developing as a leader? A lot of that really is looking ahead. Uh, and understanding how I can help the company and so really it's been about making sure that I now work on the business as much as in the business in fact actually it has to shift to work on as opposed to in yes and actually working with them to understand how I can start to not step back is the wrong phrase but I've really been working on making sure that I am not the bottleneck and the company is the company. It has its own little personality. It, it mm-hmm. is a thing
2: mm-hmm.
3: and and on what processes and procedures do we have to put in place for that? and how do we empower people and and how do we, as a company, one of the things we just did that really made a difference was actually we rewrote our mission vision and values
2: okay. and and
3: really, how
1: how do we ensure that this fledgling company that is there, Slides.
2: great so that, is, that is sorry Sophie go on
1: no, no 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 so that's what I'm working on that mm. that part of leading but it not being me it yeah. never has been me really but yeah stepping aside
0: it's good it's good or, or, or stepping up or turning up in situations representing the company not not yourself all these are yeah that's that's great great work Portion of the leaders to this podcast and what I can tell from, from data um, appear to be earlier in their careers. So they seem to get a, a listenership that are 50 um, percent people who are kind of in senior leadership positions in data and analytics, et cetera, and 50 percent people relatively early starting off in their careers. So I, I try and always make sure that I ask each of our experienced guests, like your good self, Sophie, to either cast your minds back. Or think what you've seen has worked best for those who work for you and a bit earlier in their careers. What tips would you give for people at that stage? What skills or knowledge do you think they should focus on developing in order to thrive in the working world where it is now?
1: So I I often get asked this. And my answer is always the same. It starts with reading.
2: Mm. You
1: have to read like your life depends on
2: it. Mm. Mm.
1: Don't
3: just, and I hate to say this, don't just read the internet. Yes. Read published journals. They might be on the internet, but read published journals, mm. read newspapers, mm. read. Mm. And the more you read, the more voices you will hear, the more ideas you will get, The yes. but, but read broadly. Yes. Don't just always stick with the same journals or publications. Mm. Read as many voices from as many people, so you can start to under understand both sides of the arguments. Mm. It is absolutely imperative that you you learn what's going on not only in your field, but that where your field intersects with others. Mm. So you you've got to read. and the other thing you have to do is, I don't say the networking word because some people hate that, but you need to find a way to go and listen. Now, that might be by going to um, things like the Pi Date and the PyTorch where you, you they have the meetups. It yeah. might be going to conferences. But you need to listen. And by being in the room, virtually or, or literally, you start to see how people express themselves. And you might make friends and you might share contact details. Hmm. But I would say the best way, to get ahead and to, and, and to enjoy and have just a wonderful career is to read and then see what other opportunities are out there. So you can move. You can move about and, and change your career totally from engineering to statistics. You, you, you can do different jobs in the same company. Hmm. But a lot of that comes from knowing what is out there. And
1: to do that, you really got to read yeah. a lot
0: Brilliant answer, Sophie. There we go. What's this really technical nugget from this successful technical leader? Earlier in your career, you should read and you should listen. Great. Love it, Sophie. Lots of, lots of depth and very, very practical advice. Well, well uh, communicated. That's brilliant. Uh, thanks so much for your thoughts and your time today, Sophie. As I expected, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you.
3: It's been very nice to talk to you too as well. I've had a lovely afternoon. Thank you.
0: Great. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. And thank you, everyone, for listening. You will easily find Sophie's details online if you want to apply for what sounds like a wonderful company to work for. Anyway, I hope you found that helpful and continue to listen to the Customer Insight Leader podcast. More great interviews coming up. And each week, now again, getting back into a rhythm, there's also fresh content on our blog, Customer Insight Leader or oneword.com. So you might want to check that out too. Before then, it just remains for me to say thank you everyone again for your time. Have a great week, and perhaps reflect on how you could read more broadly, how you could listen well to others, and how you could follow your passion as Sophie has, and just say to yourself, it can't be that hard. Have fun. Bye for now.